Welcome, everybody. I am Rachel Levy-Lesser. And I am Stephanie Goldstein, and this is Life Accessories, a podcast about accessories, clothing, fashion, and the stories behind them. We are two friends who love to accessorize and who remember what we wore on pretty much every meaningful occasion, and that is what we love to talk about. You can follow us on Instagram at Life's Accessories Podcast and also on Facebook. You can also email us at lifesaccessoriespodcast at gmail.com with comments, questions, or accessory suggestions. And if you like what you're listening to, we would love it for you to share this podcast with a friend and rate and review us wherever you get your podcast. Also, do not forget to subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Today, we are excited to be talking to Jenny Leon. Jenny is a mother of three who lives in Montclair, New Jersey. She has three children, but her true loves are her clothes, of which she says she has way too many. I can relate to that. I'm sure you can too, Rachel. Definitely, but you can never have too many. (laughs) Her work has been featured in the Globe and Mail, HuffPost Canada, the Buffalo News, Motherwell, Caveller, and her story, amongst others. And her essay, Zoloft and Other Casualties of Motherhood, was shortlisted for the Eunice Williams Nonfiction Prize. I'm not familiar with that prize, but anyone who gets shortlisted, named, whatever, they're winners in my book. So good for her. I don't know who Eunice Williams is, but that does not mean that she's not a big shot. And anybody who gets shortlisted, come on. Eunice Williams is a big shot in my book. I bet she is. Also, I wonder who she is. We need to look her up. You know what? We're going to Google her. We're going to go to the Google. Google. Also, great title there. Zoloft Mm -hmm. and Other Casualties of Motherhood. Love that. So before becoming a mother, Jenny practiced corporate law in Midtown Manhattan. Heard of it. But found she was mostly doing it for the shoes, which is amazing. (laughs) Can relate. Yeah. I mean, work for shoes. Yeah. She is currently working on a forthcoming memoir about how being diagnosed with breast cancer during pregnancy led her to reframe motherhood, which I can 100% imagine. Mm-hmm. We definitely are going to have a lot of cool stuff to talk to Jenny about, and I can't wait to bring her on. Same. Hi, Jenny. Welcome to Life Accessories. We're so happy to have you with us today. I'm so happy to be here. I can't wait to talk to you guys. Well, Jenny, we're so happy to have you. And I have the distinct honor of asking you the most important question of the day, which is what accessory or meaningful item do you want to talk about? So I'm here to talk about a gold skirt that I bought when I was first a young associate lawyer. And it's from Anthropology, And it's a size four and it has no stretch. And I'm like, first of all, we love anthropology. It's a gold skirt because, you know, anthropology, a lot of times they have like your basic t-shirts and sweaters that everybody has. But I feel like this gold skirt may have been one of those like memorable anthropology items. It sounds like. Yeah, I actually, I forgot the name of it and you could Google it because it was so memorable. It's like right there. Why did you buy it? So I bought it because it was my friend's wedding. I was supposed to be her bridesmaid. I was supposed to be wedding dress shopping with her. But of course, I see this skirt and I'm like, if I get this skirt, I'm going to have a husband. Like my life is completely going to work out. So Definitely. I need the skirt yeah. so I can be the person who can wear the skirt. And I just have this vision of myself. I just, you know, lost some weight. I thought this is going to be great. And it also, I just moved to New York. So it fit the kind of Manhattan yeah. lawyer lifestyle. And so I was convinced that if I could wear the skirt, I would be 
whoever it was I wanted to be, maybe like a cooler Ally McBeal or something. I love that. Excellent lawyer. Love the reference. Skirt. So how did you wear it? What did you wear with the skirt, the shoes? Want to hear the whole, about the whole outfit? So I would do like, you know, more, cause I was a lawyer. I would do more formal on the top, a black turtleneck or something. And then heels that I couldn't walk in, obviously. Cause that's what you do when you have a skirt. You can't walk in anybody else you can't walk in. So you were wearing this gold skirt to work. I did. I, it's probably a clue that I shouldn't have remained working as a lawyer because I used to really push the yeah. memories a little bit too Wait, much. Were you working at like a big I law firm? Like, oh yeah. Oh, I love wow. that. I am. That's impressed. fantastic. Good for you. Yeah. <laughs> Side note to our listeners. We do have a little bit of producer value going back and forth where we get some information about the story. So you had mentioned to us a little bit that the skirt had never quite fit you. And it also turns out that's how you felt about your law career, which you hinted at by, you know, being the girl that shows up to work in the gold skirt while I'm sure everyone else is wearing like black suit skirts. So what was it about the career that wasn't fitting you and what the skirt represented? Full disclosure, both my parents are lawyers. So that kind of predisposed me to go to law school. I probably should have known that I wasn't completely fit for law school. I deferred and did a master's in social anthropology, and then I had a baby. Mm. And that's when it really occurred to me that I probably didn't want to repeat what I'd seen my mom do. Not that Mm -hmm. there was anything wrong with what she did, but I think at that time, women were so stressed, right? They, They thought you could have it all. And I think in my generation, it's a little bit more like, could you really? Like, what were you, at what cost? To me, the skirt represents this person who had it all together and could just play this role. And then you have me and I just wanted to be at home with my baby. Well, Rachel and I, we really enjoyed the essay that you wrote for Globe and Mail, which was actually about this very skirt. And for our listeners, in part, you wrote, motherhood fit me like a nice A-line skirt. It was more flattering and generally just a whole lot easier to wear, but I wasn't supposed to want to wear that skirt. I was supposed to go after the fancy skirt, or was I supposed to wear both? Was that even possible? When would I wear one and where would I wear the other? Who made these rules up anyway? So let's talk about the rules, the expectations and your experience. Cause you mentioned too, right? You, you push the, the boundaries, push the boundaries, permission. Tell us about that. Well, I remember often, like, I would be in a room full of men and I'd be wearing a cute outfit and they would ask me to get them coffee, that kind of thing, which like, oh, that's amazing because it was 2013, right? It wasn't By the way, side note, I got my MBA with my husband. We were a young married couple. We went to business school together and everybody thought that he was the business student. And I'll say it. I was just the wife. And I would be like, no, I'm getting my MBA. Seriously? Too. Like yeah, tagging I got along to classes? All the time. I was like, I go here. Amen, girl. <laughs> <laughs> that reminds me, Rachel, I did read your book about the nannies and that one really, thank you for that. Because oh. I think the na- the quandary of finding this perfect nanny really brings this issue home because I kind of, I was jealous of my nanny, Right. You're jealous of your nanny because she gets to be with your kid. And you're thinking, I'm paying this person and I'm jealous of them. I know. And you're being being nicer to her than you are to anybody else, you know. 
I mean, we bought our car. We did not do that for us. I have to say though, I mean, look, the first time we looked for a nanny, I remember thinking like, I don't like anybody. And do I not like anybody because I don't want anyone taking care of my kids other than me or my husband or family member, or will I know when I meet the person? And we were fortunate. We only had two. And the the second one, I mean, is a sister to me. And we were actually talking about our relationship. And she always was commenting. She's like, you always let me just do these fantastic things with the kids. And I said, you know what, if anything, it was to teach them that more than mom and dad can love you. And I think what came to light for me was when my younger son took his first steps in our house when I was downstairs and he was upstairs with my husband. So it made me realize that like, all right, I could be here and miss it. Yeah. That's so interesting. I actually, my path took a different direction because I was diagnosed with cancer when I was pregnant with my daughter. And so I really had to rely on a nanny and a baby nurse who were both wonderful. Yeah. But then, and my husband, and I was really jealous of my husband at the time, because like you said, he would witness everything. And I was like, she doesn't like me. She doesn't know me. And so I, that's how I actually ended up leaving law entirely was I wanted to get to know my daughter. I feel like we're going on a journey here and I'm sure that (laughs) I know, and I'm sorry that I got us off topic by talking about the MBA and then we got into the nannies. I want to hear about the memoir that you're writing in your cancer diagnosis and the challenges that you went through and what you've been through since then. But can we go back to the skirt for a second? Yes, of course. And sitting in the law firm and having um, guys at the office asking you to get coffee. So what was that like? And then tell us about the progression of deciding what you wanted to do about the skirt and about your career as a lawyer. So I kept on switching law firms, but they were all within a block of each other. Everyone knows where they were. They were in Midtown Manhattan around Rock Center. And thinking that the next law firm I went to, there would be the perfect work-life balance. I was very much convinced that was what was going to happen. It was the wrong firm, but that was like the skirt that never fit, right? I was just trying to find something that fit. And I would be wearing this skirt and skirts like this. And I realized I spent so much of my life being unable to walk. (laughs) I would take off my shoes under my desk, they hurt my feet so much, and then walk to the bathroom with the <laughs> shoes on and then have to take them off. Like the things we do, so, the pain yes. we endure. Yes. So I think, and the skirt was always very close to ripping. I don't know if the liner might've ripped a little bit, but it was always a sign to me that it was, it couldn't be more perfect metaphor. It was literally encasing me and right. keeping me constricted in a right. place where I wanted to be free. So then I got pregnant with my son and the skirt really didn't fit. And I'm pretty sure it will never fit again. Mm -hmm. And that's, I had to go through the process of saying like, is this okay? Is this okay that I can't maybe do what I need to do as a mother to take care of my son and work out eight times a week and work 45 hours to 70 hour weeks and all these things. Maybe I just have to be a little easier on myself. And the one thing that I knew was that I'd always wanted to be a mother. And that's kind of what led me out of law firm life was that I was desperate to get married, like pathetically desperate to get married. You mentioned though, that your cancer diagnosis did reframe motherhood for you. And can you talk more about that? Yeah. So I always wanted a daughter 
I had a son and then I didn't find out the sex of my second child. And I was convinced that she was going to be a he. And same experience, by the way, (laughs) exact same. Yeah. I knew I was going to have boys and I had, except it was a son intuition. (laughs) And then I got cancer. So you got cancer while you were pregnant with your daughter. When I was 33 weeks pregnant, I got diagnosed with breast cancer. And for some reason, one of the things that hit home for me was that I was never going to have a daughter because I thought that I wouldn't be able to have another child after I had cancer. Spoiler alert. So now I have three kids and two daughters. So I I got what I wanted in that sense. But I really wanted to have a baby girl. And then it turned out that this wonderful thing happened where we didn't find out. And when the baby was born and everyone knew this cancer diagnosis was looming over our heads and I was going to have to have a mastectomy right afterwards. There's this baby girl and she was light. She was everything. We actually named her Lila Orly, which is kind of light in the night. So she was very significant um, on so many levels. How old is she now? She's four. She's a diva. She she could run this show for you. She's great. <laughs> We're hiring. Yeah, she could yeah. be an intern. Does she, she do social media? Yeah. She doesn't do social media, but she would just like, you know, she would tell you that you need more sparkles, more rainbows. Right. All oh, I Maybe love she it. Could teach us about threads because I still don't get it. I don't get um, threads either. It's yeah. just one more thing. I know. We can't. Yeah. I can't. It's too much. So I know that you're writing a memoir now about how your cancer diagnosis reframed your motherhood, which we can't wait to read that when it comes out because it will. But can you take us back? How did you get the diagnosis when you were pregnant? So I was a hypochondriac. Um, and we get it. New- yeah, you I saw hypochondriacs, that <laughs> yeah. can be good, right? Yeah. 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 Nobody tells you the upside of hypochondria. No, nope. so, there is an upside. There, there is. is. Yes. There is. We're here to tell I you really about that. I saved my own life. Okay. So I really think that there was something there. I was BRCA positive. I didn't know I was BRCA positive. And mm-hmm. this is just kind of like public surface announcement. It can go through the father's line. Some people don't mm-hmm. know that. Yeah. The BRCA get gene, tested. anyone, yeah, get tested. It gives you a 60% risk of breast cancer before age 70. So you're pretty much probably going to get it. So I'm pregnant. I'm 33 weeks pregnant and I have this lump and, you know, I'm obsessing and my husband's telling me it's probably a clogged duck. And why would he think otherwise? I was a healthy woman. And there's something called a doorknob confession, which is like, as your doctor's about to leave, people usually tell the truth. And that's what happened to me. My doctor, I was at an OB appointment. My doctor's about to walk out the door and I say, wait, I have a lump. Oh, So he feels it. He thinks it's nothing, but he says you should get an ultrasound. Really very good doctor. Yeah. But the ultrasound is going to take a month. And I'm pregnant with my second child. I have a one-year-old at home and I'm about to move to New Jersey from New York. And I'm like, no, I'm getting an ultrasound today. Are you still working as a lawyer at the time? I was working in a legal role, but not at a big firm. So it was less. um, Okay. Less intense, but and obviously the skirt was not fitting anymore. We were not having that. The skirt was right. not fitting at this. The skirt's <laughs> aspirational at this point. Yeah, okay. the skirt's done. Okay. Anyway. Yeah, the skirt lives yeah. in the closet for later. Um, <laughs> so I'm at this. I'm at this new office, and I spent the day. I remember I walked away from my desk. I spent the day calling ultrasound clinics, call a clinic that can take me that day, and. It doesn't go, if you're a hypochondriac, you know how those appointment goes. Everyone kind of tells you you're stupid. And then they like shuffle you out the door and you feel better. Mm-hmm. That's not how this one went. Mm-hmm. And so then I realized it was getting worse. And so it ended up that I had triple negative breast cancer and I caught it very early. Thank and goodness. 
yes, really very, like people kept on being like, I can't believe you found this. I can't believe you found this. So really can't emphasize enough how much the paranoia helps me. And then they told me that my daughter might have to be born at 35 weeks. And I didn't want to do that. I thought like I was going to have breast cancer. She was going to be in NICU. Mm. I mean, they thought she would have to be born early so that you could start a treatment. That's what they typically do. Um, But because I was so early and I went to a fabulous doctor, Dr. Port at Mount Sinai. Thank you, Dr. Port. Yeah. Yes. Thank you, Dr. Port. I always want to plug Dr. Port because she saved my life. She told me that I could wait till 37 weeks, which I'm sure you both know is full term. And so it was a very rough ordeal, but at least I brought home a healthy baby. And so that kind of framed the whole Mm -hmm. journey. And after cancer, I just thought, like I had thought this before, obviously, this is why I left the law firms, but I really thought, why waste your life in a skirt that doesn't fit? Like, I don't want to do anything. I just wanted to write at that point, basically. I wanted to tell people what had happened to me. I wanted to tell people my feelings. I didn't really, I'd love to be paid. There are more important things in life. And I couldn't pretend that I found what I was doing interesting. Mm -hmm. I was doing finance and I just didn't think it was that interesting. And I wanted a career where I just felt like I could have the time for my children I needed. And I was expressing myself. Yeah. No, that's, that's incredible. And thank you for sharing that with us. And now you're writing about it. So what has that process been like for you to write so openly and honestly about this experience? So writing, I think saved me personally. I enjoy it. I do it. I'd rather do it than watch TV. And I have three young kids. So me I really too. Do do me it too. <laughs> what it did at first is, and I'm sure, you know, given your losses, you both know what this is like everybody's talking about you, right? And you're like, stop pitying me. Stop talking about me. And I would hear these rumors about myself that I was dying. And there's rumors about myself that my daughter was wildly premature. And I just thought, I need to correct the narrative. So my first public thing was a Facebook post. And it said, this is what it's actually like having breast cancer. Yes, I'm sick. Yes, it sucks. But you get through it and you live your life. Mm -hmm. And people don't realize that. They think life stops when you get those kind of diagnoses. Right, right. And so I posted pictures of my son. I took him to camp and all these things. And I said, I'm living with this and we don't talk about this. I don't know why we keep cancer a secret. And so then I realized I got all this positive response. And then I thought, I want to keep on telling people what this is like. Yeah. And so I kept writing and then there was a pandemic. And so I had nothing else to do other than take care of my two babies under two. It gave my brain something to do. I think it allowed me to take this awful thing and make sense of it and use it in a way where I had control over it. It really could have Mm -hmm. taken control of me. And in hindsight, my law career took a lot more control of me than cancer Mm -hmm. did in some ways. Wow. Kudos to you for writing it during a pandemic, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. Have have you always been good at writing? Have you always wanted to be a writer? Because there's so many people, like I have my MBA, I worked in PR marketing and we've talked about this. My mother got sick when I was pregnant or before I was pregnant, but then died shortly after I had a baby. So writing was very cathartic for me. And I always sort of thought I was good at it, but didn't know until you actually did it. So was writing something you thought about when you were in law school? Like, oh, maybe I should do this as a career? No, I was very similar to you, Rachel. I really didn't. I thought I needed a practical career. I didn't Mm -hmm. think writing was Mm -hmm. a career. So I was Mm -hmm. good at writing. And I remember once my mom told me I should, or many times she told me I should be a journalist and told me I wouldn't stay in law because 
I had this kind of other side to me. I just wanted to, I guess what happened was I ran out of options of other things to do when I was sick and I liked writing. And the more I did it, the more I liked it. And the more Mm -hmm. I liked it, people said I was good at it. And so it goes like that. It kind of just is a domino effect. But no, in fact, one of my best friends is like MFA, well-trained, full-out writer. And we lived together in school and we wrote essays together. But I was always like, I'm going to go to law school. You know, I need straight A's, blah, blah, blah. No, I never really thought of it. It's incredible, though, how these life moments really do help us to sort of figure things out, you know, and, and figure out a different path that that brings us more to happiness. And I hate saying this being really true and authentic to yourself, but it's true. It's true. Right. Before I wrote a book, I was, I didn't think I was going to do this as a career. I thought I was doing this while I was on disability and then I was going to find a career. So I was writing essays and I wrote an essay recently. I published an essay about how my daughter became attached to me after the cancer and how horrible the cancer was, but kind of this message that after the cancer, I have her now. She doesn't remember. It was horrible for me. It wasn't horrible for her. I'm her primary attachment figure for sure. And so one night I was carrying her down the stairs and I realized like she calls out for me. So I, whatever I was worried about, it didn't happen. And I go through all the times that I couldn't answer her because one of the things about cancer is obviously you're immunocompromised. And so when my daughter was little, my son had just started preschool. She kept on getting sick and I couldn't attend to her. And that was awful. And Um, especially when you're a hypochondriac like Rachel and I are. I would go to the doctor, gloves, mask. This is before Uh, COVID. Oh, you're ahead of your time. Yes. Oh yeah. I was well prepared for COVID. I was like, this is just what I've been doing. This is what you had all the masks. <laughs> High five. I did. I actually had so much PPE. I actually felt bad because I finished cancer treatment in the end of January, 2020. So I really had a lot of very fresh PPE. Wow. wow. Timing. How is the book coming? Are you ready to put it out there? I know that's a whole process. <laughs> so yeah. I'm almost done a first draft. Okay. Which I feel like feels really good, but I know there's so much to come, right? Because right. it's the first shitty draft or whatever. I don't know if I'm allowed to swear on the podcast. Oh, you, you can, can say whatever you, you want. You can say whatever you want. <laughs> we just had it? the founder of Shit That I Knit come on our podcast. Yeah, so we, we, were were we were We're swearing the whole episode. <laughs> so I have this draft. It's actually all the, the outline is on post-it notes on my wall right here that you guys can see. Nice. Uh, very so beautiful mind. I love that. That feels very good. And one of the funny things and the fortuitous things is I kept on saying, I can't end my book until I have a third child. That's the happy ending. And I didn't know if I was going to be able to have a third child. And so when I had, when I got pregnant with my baby Esther, I thought this is the best ending for the book. Like I did this for the book. I I brought a child into the world for a book. (laughs) Right. Like, could you think of a better ending? I love it. How old is Esther? She's eight months. And yeah, she really provides such a hopeful dimension to our lives and also to the book, obviously, (laughs) because chemo affects fertility. And I was told that I likely wouldn't be able to have a third child. And then I just got pregnant, like very easily. There have been these moments where it really feels like there's 
God or a higher is something is happening. There's a Basharit that yeah. runs through these brief yeah. scenarios. And so, yeah, like, I mean, it was wonderful to be able to also have the experience of a normal pregnancy after everything and be able to go through that and just kind of come out at the other end. And if I had been working still just to go back, I wouldn't be able, like I'm home with Esther and I never got to do that before. So that's so wonderful just to be able to be so much her primary caregiver and breastfeeding aside, since I obviously don't breastfeed, it doesn't matter. I'm her person. And that was also a good thing for me to, to learn. As a friend has always said to me with respect to motherhood, right? It's like when you see someone on TV, right? An athlete, like who are they thanking? Or who are they saying hi to? They're not saying, hi, dad. It's hi, mom, always. So if we can circle back to the accessory for a little bit, and for our listeners, when this comes out, we took a screenshot of the skirt because it is quite the skirt. It's awesome. We've <laughs> kept it all these years. It doesn't fit. No shame in that. I have a lot of those nope. things. <laughs> At what point in time do you think you would ever part with it? Or maybe you won't. No pressure. Just curious. I guess, why are you holding on to it? Yeah. <laughs> so I think there's, after you have your first child, there's a period of denial, right? Like I'm going right back to where I started. Oh, yeah. And my first two children were born very close. I was got pregnant with my daughter when my son was six months old. So like that dream ended very quickly. <laughs> For our listeners, our eyes are popping out of our heads. <laughs> that is bananas. Yeah. After one of the crazy story was that. And lost the pregnancy weight. And there was this whole discussion about like how I couldn't gain too much weight the next pregnancy because I still had the other pregnancy weight. It was totally surreal. (laughs) After the second child and the cancer, I thought, I don't know if that's the skirt's going to work for me, right? I don't know if this is where I want to be in my life anymore. And we were in a pandemic. And so it just sat in my closet. And every now and then I'd look at it and I'd say, oh, it's so pretty and I want to wear it. And then I I listed it on Poshmark finally about five months ago and then I decided I wanted to do the podcast and so then I took it off we're part of the story we are part of the skirt story Rachel listen maybe it's going to sell for more on Poshmark after this podcast I know as seen on life's accessories that's I mean this is groundbreaking information gold foil skirt from life's accessories get off of poshmark because of our podcast i was like i don't want to sell it before i'm on the podcast i want to show it on the podcast wait you now can't sell it at all i know i can't ever sell it no and then i realized that there's something about and i'm sure this has been on the podcast at one point cleaning out your closet and you get in the vibe and you're like i'm gonna sell everything i own and then you don't want to sell it yeah. No. So that's right. kind of, that was exactly. kind of the skirt. Yeah. I mean, oh, with all due amazing. respect for Marie Kondo, because we do love her. Sure. There are certain things that you maybe know that you're not going to wear again, but you keep them. You know, maybe right. maybe Esther will wear one day. Maybe Lila yeah. will wear it. Who knows? Oh, I or love maybe, it. Maybe you turn it into a couple of toss pillows, right? I mean, we love pillows. So <laughs> We're all about the throw pillows. We love the pillows. What a story, Jenny. I mean, incredible. So where can our listeners find you? So I'm on Instagram at Jenny Rose NYC. I have a linker tree that you can get through there. And I'm not yet on Twitter, but 
I'm sure that if it doesn't die, I should get on it. So it's all about the threads. <laughs> I'm scared of threads, but yeah, maybe I'll get it. Okay. That's okay. Instagram <laughs> seems to be where our guests and our listeners yes. hang out. Are you guys on threads? Uh, yes. Yeah. But... You know, that one week when everybody it was like two weeks ago, every yeah. person on Instagram was posting that they were on threads. So I just like followed the prompts, but I haven't actually been on there. I think delete your whole Instagram account or something. If you want to delete threads and then I got scared. Oh, well, now I can never delete it. Okay. <sighs> that was sneaky of them. Oh, I don't I... even know if that's true. Just someone told I me don't that. Even and know. I'd rather just watch it on Instagram. Like other people do. Well, exactly. no, that's good to know because people can go and check out some of your essays on your link tree, which we've been doing. Yeah. I would love to. And if any, I also say like I have been through breast cancer and a lot of people are, have gone through young breast cancer. So anyone should feel free to reach out to me about anything like that. I have a lot of resources and especially if you're a young mother, that's really, I love to, it sounds like fake, but I really do love to help people who've been through that because it's such an odd experience. And I think it helps to see the light at the end of the tunnel. I like how you said that young breast cancer, because it's certainly different than having breast cancer later in life. And certainly Mm -hmm. for you, I would imagine Mm -hmm. when you're having, when you're pregnant. So that's really, I think that's so wonderful that you can be a resource to other people. Well, one of the things I think that happens when you're a bit older is, or when you have young breast cancer is people kind of refer you to old, older people. And you're like, I'm not in the same category. I don't want to be here. This isn't my life stage. And I've written about this in some of my essays. I would get this mastectomy wear and it all looked like old lady clothes. Like it's all pink and lace with bows. And I was like, I don't like, can I have a tank top? I don't want to wear this. I don't want to be this person. And so I think it is like a separate, it's not a separate disease, but it's, it should be thought of in its own way in terms of therapies and that kind of thing. Cause the psychological element of it is completely different and certain things. I think we do. One of the things I talk about is losing your, losing your faith in the fact that everything's going to be okay, which I think mostly happens to older people and then losing right. your femininity at an earlier stage. People with BRCA, they have to, I recently got a hysterectomy, right? Like people with BRCA, they have to go through other things. So yeah, I think that's where I'm hoping people will read my writing and actually see that it's okay. Because I think I talk to a lot of people getting diagnosed and it's just like, it's not so much, most people luckily I talk to aren't deaf, but they're facing a severe change in their lives. Right. Well, thank goodness you paid attention so closely to your body and said something. That's a lesson, listeners, ladies and gentlemen, right? I yeah. mean, the, the doorknob conversation. Who cares if you're crazy, no. right? No, no, exactly. You're not. No one is. Well, I am, but no. We love crazy hypochondriacs. <laughs> right. I used to take my son to the pediatrician all the time and yeah. they'd always tell me he was fine. And then I told my mom and she's, every time she was so nice about it, she's just like, well, that just means you did the right thing. Like that's the result right. we were hoping for. That's right. That's right. Exactly. I called the pediatrician when my son was a baby and I cut his nails for the first time with those baby clippers oh, yeah. and he was bleeding. And I called the doctor and they were like, put a bandaid on him. <laughs> We brought our oldest son to the ER when he had a cold, when he was six months old, because he sounded like he was breathing funny and he was totally fine. And when we had the follow-up with the pediatrician that Monday, he was like, yeah, he probably just had a booger. And that's why his breathing (laughs) sounded funny. I'm like, that's That's probably right. Yeah. 
but he, was, he wasn't belittling me, but he was just like, no, he's fine. Yeah. You know, but you have to go through those experiences to know. Right? So listen, we fully support hypochondriacs. We fully support mm-hmm. keeping skirts that don't fit anymore. And obviously we fully support your writing and all the ones yeah. in this world to put a bow on that. Yeah, so exactly. Thank, thank, thank you. you so much for coming on. We love talking to you. Thank you, yes, Jenny. This was amazing. Thank you so much for having me. I love the podcast. We loved having you. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Life's Accessories. Please don't forget to subscribe, rate us and get in touch. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for tuning in.